1: Hello and welcome to The Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison. Today's edition is a bit of a change from the sturm and drang of COVID and politics because we're going to talk about something different, something immensely powerful that surrounds us and sets the tone of the world, and yet we seldom notice it. We're talking about fonts, typefaces, the shape and style and design of the words we read every day. Font design has probably never been as important, and the advent of cheap design programmes means that everybody can now have a go. So why do fonts matter? How is typography changing? And how does it shape the world? From subtleties like Apple changing its base typeface from Helvetica to San Francisco in 2015, all the way to you receiving that deeply serious email from your kid's school, except it's in Comic Sans. I'm joined (laughs) by a legend of graphic design, Gail Anderson. A former art director at Rolling Stone and co-author with Stephen Heller of many books about typography.
0: Many, many books.
1: Many, many books. The latest of which is Type Speaks, a lexicon of expressive, emotional, and symbolic typefaces. She's a recipient of the National Design Awards Lifetime Achievement Accolade, and she's a member of the Citizen... Yes. And she's a member of the (laughs) Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee for the US Postal Service. She designed the 2013 Emancipation Proclamation Stamp. Gail, thanks for joining us. How are you doing?
0: I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm up upstate in Woodstock, New York. Oh, Woodstock's so, fantastic. A little, little toasty warm up here, but it's good. It's good. Beautiful.
1: Well, it's just not raining in London, so I'm jealous of you. <laughs> now, now, this podcast is going to be the font equivalent of Sheldon and Amy's Fun with Flags from Big Bang Theory. I'm, <laughs> I am an enthusiastic amateur. I love typography, but you're the master. To me, it always like the words might be the concept, but the typography is the tone of voice. Does that make sense to you? What was oh, typography-
0: yes. going to Wait, I'm going to write that down. I oh, really great. like that. you I'm going to steal that one. Yeah. do? <laughs> So what does what does type do for words? I mean, it brings it to life. It communicates. It sets the tone. It does everything. I love that type has been democratized and that everybody's got a shot at uh, at making some choices. And you know, people don't always make the most educated choices. They they pick you know the, the silly mm-hmm. stuff, the ch- chalkboard kind of stuff, but or comic sans, as you said. But <laughs> but I like that everybody can have a go at it now and and have some fun. And that if I talk about it even to family they kind of understand better than they used to a long time ago you know they mm. thought oh is, is there a book that you choose from like oh yeah yeah there's one book with all the type in it just <laughs> one book you can say anything with type you can take a message and twist it a little bit just by the uh, the type choices that you're making and now our little type worlds exploded and you've got generative type and variable fonts and all kinds of new ways that, that we can communicate with words and with typography.
1: I came to loving it through music and band logos and Lettraset. And I, I was thrilled. Lettraset! Yeah, there you go. And I was so thrilled when I saw that you could get like the specials logo typeface as a set, or when Madness That's started to was, re- Yeah. yeah. Now, Madness used to resurrect these incredible, lovely extended 60s serif faces. And uh, they were so redolent and so powerful. What was your gateway drug?
0: Oh, well you know, it was Letroset too when Mm. I was in high school. And a font named Candace was one that I I loved so much. And you know how Letraset got a little old and then it would kind of crack and get a little crusty, Mm. but there was also a truck pack and a few other brands, but Letraset was the gold, the gold standard of type. And yeah. I, I loved using that. Love, 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 love.
1: And actually that cracked thing with the Letraset would break up actually became the look of the nineties, didn't it? Distressed type. People spent a whole lot of time and effort into digitizing that cracked effect. But I want to ask you about the book. So you described Type Speaks as the first book to explore type as a medium that conveys emotions, concepts, and ideas. What hadn't been said about type before? Do do people really understand the role that it plays in the world?
0: Again, I think more people do, but now, you know, a bunch of designers, the, the two of us who design, we get it. And little books like this kind of bring it to the masses. And Steve and I have done a bunch of other type books. And this is sort of the loudest and the silliest. And They've all been really playful, because that's sort of where our hearts are, and certainly my heart is, with, with looking at, at type, ornamental type in particular, uh, and vernacular type. But but this one is a little tiny brick of just silliness, and I hope that it it does get beyond designers and let you see that there there's this whole world out there of fun. You know, much of it you have to pay for, you can't steal it, but but there's stuff that's, that's really inexpensive and worth, worth messing with. And of course you've got your Google fonts and all that sort of stuff. It's again, our, our world as designers, uh, now includes everybody else making stuff. So, and actually making pretty decent stuff. Years ago, I would have my sister doing her newsletter for, for whatever organization and she'd show it to me. I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. But now people do stuff. You're like, okay, that's, that's, that's kind of nice. So, how is type changing? Do you think under the
1: kind of influence of these these free programs, but also also what people want from it, and the, and the role that it that, that it plays in the world? Because we're so inundated with political messaging, advertising, and so on, and also at the new level of digital engagement that type is louder and more present, probably than it, than it's ever been. How is it changing at the moment?
0: It's changing in that the quality is improved and. Uh, type for everyone, the type that's out there for the world to play with is a lot better than it used to be and not just copies of stuff. Type can move and expand and through generative type and the variable fonts, you've got so many more options to play with Uh, and, and pretty easy to play with. You don't have to be a professional. I mean, there are so many choices. There are the classics, but then there's also all this other stuff that's, that's fun and trendy and, and is gone in a minute, but, but it's there and have some fun with it. You know, I, I've got students who say, I like to keep it simple. And so they just want to use Helvetica or, 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 or or whatever. It's like, oh, come on, just have a little fun with it. And, and you can, you can use letter forms and, and type to, to convey a message. So why not? Other than I want to keep it simple
1: I mean, you teach at the New York City School of, of Visual Arts without wanting to preempt the entire course. What What are the core basics that a young type Jedi needs to know? What are the me- What are the things you can't break away from?
0: Ah, uh, you know, we want them to be able to understand how to set text how to set body copy how to that's something that's really important that people kind of forget about cuz they're busy like making cool stuff and making cool giant words and things but i want you to be able to do what we used to do in the old days with magazines and books and and all that i want students to and we not just me but we want students to be able to work in the long form with type and understand the beauty of it, but also the functionality. And that you don't just sort of type it in and that's it. That I want you to understand every every beautiful thing about typesetting. And and they're kind of reluctant to do that because it's like, yeah, whatever. But when you see the difference between type that's set as close to perfectly as possible versus stuff that's sort of copied and pasted and dumped in. I like the designing on the head of a pin part of it. Mm. And I'm trying to get uh, or we're all trying to get students to embrace that part as well because that's that's pretty important and that will serve them well professionally working on apps and websites and in you know, whatever print they're doing. And that's hard to get them to embrace it because that's not the fun part.
1: I mean, typefaces and logos can make all break a product or even a political campaign or, a, or, a, or a, a celebrity or a figure? I mean, we can all think of the classics, Coke, Apple, New York Times' is brilliant mixture of headline and body copy, the Times of London as well. Can you think of products that have transcended bad typography? I mean, when you're, when you're in the store or walking down the street, do you see giant products and think, how the hell are they getting away with that? <laughs> oh,
0: that's funny. Well, um, do you remember when um, Tropicana tried to change years back? And they they made it a little a little nicer looking, and they had a new cap on it. I remember that it was like yes. a piece, a uh, half of an orange. And they people were just enraged. Like, how, no, 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 that's not tropicana. <laughs> tropicana is supposed to have the 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 lady and look dowdy and and all that. I thought, really, but I get it. There's some things like, nope, this is the way it's supposed to look. And I guess that was one of them.
1: Can typefaces be political as well? I mean, are they, you just talked about how people reacted to one instance of alteration in that they felt that it was maybe taking it away from its traditional roots, the product. Are typefaces, mm-hmm. you know, are they kind of politically contestable? You know, they're about conservatism or progress. They position you somewhere in the kind of cultural spectrum. I'm thinking particularly about Trump's really bombastic logo. Oh. You know, the word Trump, huge, super bold, super block, a vast statement, which looks the same on a political poster or on the side of a tower or a kind of golden casino.
0: Oh, you're breaking my heart here. <laughs> you know, and think, think back to, to Hillary and how elegant the work that um, Michael Beirut produced and then Jennifer Kynan kept going with and built on. For Hillary, that was so much better, so, so much classier. And think back to Obama and Gotham. And, you know, this is the stuff that I don't know if people always get it right away, but you kind of get it. And I, I knew who that person was and what based on the campaign materials, based on somebody caring about the way everything looked and the type and not going overboard. Remember thinking of Jeb and the exclamation mark. Like, oh
1: Hmm. there's
0: yeah, it can get it can get political. And AOC here had amazing campaign posters that I'd see uptown. up town. It's like, who is this? Who is this person? Great type. And Hmm. I don't think it's just me thinking, oh, I like type. I like this. I think this stuff gets in the back of your head somehow and you don't maybe you don't quite know what it is. Yeah. But you know it's better and you know that that Trump stuff bleh, bleh
1: bleh <laughs> Well yeah, you're right. It's kind of subconscious, isn't it? And you mentioned in Gotham in connection yeah. with, with Obama and the message of that Ruby really was solidity, dependability and for a lot of voters don't be frightened of this guy. Wasn't it really? Because mm-hmm. like, he had to reach out to a lot of voters who uh-huh. for whom an African American president was a step. And that type actually conveyed something important.
0: And it was classy, and the whole campaign was just low-key, beautiful, elegant, just really so wonderfully thought through.
1: So what do you think of the the worldwide success of the rediscovered Keep Calm and Carry On poster that was so huge (laughs) in the 2000s in Britain and then spread around the world? And this was an original piece of 1940s graphic design. Oh. know! Tell, give, give me your educated uh, expert take on that. Why did that work so well?
0: I got nothing on that one, but, <laughs> cause you, but you can keep calm and dot, dot, dot. It was so easy to play with that one and familiar. I love the way that kind of had a moment and took off. Go figure. Mm. I have no educated guess on that one
1: but I loved it. It's lovely, but was it perhaps because it was anti-typography? It came from a time before contemporary graphic design, and it sort of felt to contrive it would be the work of months and a lot of hard thinking, and yet it just arrived in such a natural way.
0: Oh, fine. That's the smart answer. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You can have that one as well. Thank you. I want to ask you about your own work, uh, particularly at Rolling Stone. A huge part of it is hand-drawn, woodcut type, self-designed, unique works, and that was a Big part of Robinson's visual identity at the time. Those amazing three dimensional types and headlines and logos that kind of connected the rock and roll era to a, a deeper and an older American tradition. What is it that draws you to that that hand drawn, handmade stuff?
0: Ah, oh, we worked so hard back then. That stuff took so long. <laughs> it was so hard to do, but so much fun, and we were so committed to it. You know, uh, and to work on something that was every every two weeks. So you worked, you saw it. You did another one. You just kept cranking. And what was great was that we didn't think too hard about it because there was just so much work to do and so many deadlines that nobody had time to overthink it. There was just such a rich history to pull from. And Fred Woodward, um, the brilliant art director, really got us going on looking back at the magazine's history. Uh, what had been done, what Roger Black did. So we were committed. We were committed to looking back and too nervous about looking too far ahead. I remember because we were always afraid that we would copy other people's stuff that Mm -hmm. was so good. So it's like, don't look at it too much because you're going to somehow copy it. I remember early, early on the really cool stuff that Spy Magazine was doing. And uh, I loved reading it. And And I was just like, oh, I do this too. It's like, nope this is not your lane. Don't do this. Don't do this. The urge was to always just, it would get in your head and you'd want to spit it out somehow in a layout. It's like, no, don't do that. Don't copy.
1: What was your personal favorite bit of work at Rolling Stone there on, the, on typography?
0: The good memories I have are things that happened quickly that they were, it's like, well, that just happened. An idea, a problem that was solved in a matter of hours rather than laboring over it late at night. There was one in particular, uh, Axel Rose, who I have no connection to in music or anything or love of. But I had this great illustration, the first digital illustration that we had from Alex Ostroy. And I couldn't believe you could have a digital illustration, you know, and I'd look at it and, and he made little changes and I was working on sort of my side and I wanted to make the type simple and then have vines of flowers uh, weave through the type because he had vines weaving up Axl Rose's legs Mm. And said, keep doing more of those, and I'm going to do more on my side. And that just happened, like, in an afternoon. And I was like, done. And I remember Fred was out that day, and he came back the next day, and I was like, what about this? And he was like, just stop. Like, that's done. <laughs> Don't do any more, you know, because you want to, like, go in. Well, I'm going to fix every single flower. And that was one of those that's like, yes. Like, you want to hit the buzzer, you know, done. Done.
1: I often felt that, that, you know, with because Rolling Stone is not just a magazine, it's this cultural institution, that almost the kind of the big thing behind the project is to, almost to take ownership of American history. From a design point yeah. of view, from a journalism point of view, from just the, the look of the whole thing that like no this is America, not what you're hearing from reaction resources and what you're hearing mm-hmm. from you know from the t v No, this is the this is the American story in the form of a magazine. did you guys think we were, were you thinking at that level, or was it just like this is no. a this is a job to do right now?
0: No, I wish mm. you know looking back, it's like, oh my goodness, what a special time that was, you know. But in the moment, you're just getting through issue to issue to issue. And it was fun to see the stuff out on the street or to travel and see it in another city, another state. But we weren't thinking that hard. Mm. I, I'd like to. I'd like to believe that we were, but we weren't. We were just doing it.
1: Poor old magazines are not what they were. I, I came up through magazines in England, <laughs> things like Select and Q and stuff like that. But we are now in the contemporary digital world, and we talked a little bit about mm. the availability of, you know, cheap design programs on your phone where you can create a poster. <gasps> I mean, I'll be. I'm sure you think the same, and you know, I'll be out and about, and I'll see a restaurant menu or an ad in a shop. I don't think I know where you made that. You probably use the same programs that, that I use. <laughs> Do you feel that perhaps for making it more democratic has perhaps lost a little bit of the training and building on past decades of work, or is that not really a loss?
0: It's yeah, it's a loss, but it's a loss to just a bunch of designers like me. You know, <laughs> in the real world, I think it's kind of cool that everybody gets a shot at it, and <laughs> that where early on people did horrible stuff. And now they don't. Now they do stuff that's actually okay. Do I want you to pay me to do it professionally? Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, I don't want to think, well, my cousin did this. And so, yeah, we provide a really valuable service. So I don't want that to be erased, but, but I'm okay with others, others taking a stab at it more as a hobby, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've got to ask you, what
1: what is it about Helvetica? Why has it lasted so long? What what makes it so timeless? Because this is a weird face, which is simultaneously the most establishment conventional thing. You know, over here the government Brexit leaflets five years ago were in Helvetica because it's the most neutral voice going. But also it's out there in the world of music. It's like the typeface of electronic music. It's, it's very hard to tell the difference in a government leaflet and say spiritualized, ladies and gentlemen, were floating in space typography. Uh, they are the same thing. Why is Helvetica so uh, got such longevity?
0: You tell me. I don't know. When I was in school way back, I was taught by by the master, by Paula Cher, and so she taught us all to hate Helvetica. So we hated Helvetica, and we didn't question that. And it seemed boring and bland and plain and generic. And, and so I never gave it much thought. And I look now and I see students using it for everything and other folks using it for everything. And I, I get it. It sits back, you know, it, it doesn't get in the way, but there are so many more interesting choices out there. And yet I'll say when I type in a Google doc, that's what I use. Right. Because I want something that has no personality and that's easy to read, and so that that's the one time I'll, I'll give it a shot. But I feel like if I if I started to use it now, it would be like, oh yeah, right, go ahead. <laughs> like now I'm too old to use Helvetica. So
1: do you think it might be because it's so it feels so European? So to us here, it's kind of like it's it's the standard voice. Whereas to you, it may look a little bit, you know, because there are typefaces I see and I go, that's so American. It just feels American. Anything from like the Nirvana logo down to those amazing sort of. <laughs> Dancer Serif, blocky, extended oh, faces. Funny. They just scream America to me that maybe you would be typeface blind too. I don't know.
0: You know, maybe it, ugh, you're probably right. Maybe it does make us think we're smarter than we are and that we have <laughs> cool accents like, like you guys. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that, it makes us think we're more highbrow to use. Like,
1: I, I want to ask you, I mean, as somebody who's lived her life sort of surrounded by type and burying deep into type, has it made you sort of type sensitive in that you kind of might find it, you know, hard to bear to look at a particular thing, not just the menu that turns up in comic sans, but like the local newspaper where, you know, the settings just quite not quite right or the letting's just not quite right. Do you feel the way chefs feel in a, like a mom and pop restaurant?
0: Yes. I, and you actually feel it in your stomach like you actually physically <laughs> feel it sometimes of just like oh man and you see that the widow or the orphan or the bad spacing and the, the, the listeners might not know what words. a
1: widow or an orphan is you need to tell the listeners <laughs> what they, tough, what they are because <laughs> the, the listeners will say well of course you feel sad when you see a widow and orphan their, their lives are terrible but you have to tell them what they mean in a typographical sense Gail. oh
0: that's so funny <laughs>
1: This woman doesn't care about widows or orphans. She's a monster.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's great! Oh, when you have that one word at the top of a paragraph, Mm -hmm. oh, that's an orphan. When you have that one word at the end of a paragraph, especially a little short word, that's a widow. So, Mm. and those actually get to you. You're like, oh, how did that happen? You know, or you see a, a a paragraph. At the bottom of a column of type that has a an initial cap, so a larger letter starting the paragraph, and it's got like two lines under it or one line, hmm. stuff like I mean, and that sounds so silly for me to say these things, but it actually it kind of makes you clench up for a second, like uh. it's the
1: bomb note in a piece of music, it's the bad flavor in it in a in a on a pizza, it's exactly what it is, <laughs> isn't it? So when, you, yeah. when you're at dinner parties and people say to you, what do you do? And you say, I spend my day killing widows and orphans. They, <laughs> you have to explain what that means.
0: Oh, and I hate rivers, you know. Rivers <laughs> are, are the spaces uh, when you've got a, a line of type that uh, isn't fitting right. And you get big spaces between yeah. each word. Those are rivers. So, yes. So I hate rivers, too, and orphans and widows.
1: So. Oh, it's a, it, it's <laughs> typography is a cruel mistress. I'm going to ask you one, one couple of things before we go. Firstly, you know Helvetica has been the thing for it's basically the typeface of the 20th century for large yeah. chunks of the world. Not maybe not the United States in the same way. Are we due a Helvetica for the 21st century? Is there, is the wheel about to turn? What's going to be the thing? Do you think that steps into that place of Helvetica?
0: You know, I bet we're just going to have Helvetica. You know? Yeah, I. I kind of think so, but who knows with all this, this, with all the new stuff that the kids are doing? Everybody somehow thinks, well, it's sort of beautiful. Or as you said, it's very European. So it must be good. Maybe it's just a platonic ideal of what a typeface should be. Who knows? There you go. There you go. Again, bring back serifs. Bring back serifs.
1: Choices about typography go right down to the kind of almost molecular level, just as Apple. Ditched Helvetica and brought in its own typeface San Francisco a few years ago. Microsoft is now doing the same thing. It's going to bin Calibri, which anybody who's used Microsoft, will mm-hmm. are enormously familiar with. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, go, go for something else, bring, bring in a new one. Gail, what do you think about this? Is this, is this, uh, something that's going to be affecting our lives? It's, uh, almost at kind of lizard brain level here.
0: I think so. Yeah. But we'll yeah. be like, wait, did something just change? What? Oh, huh? Is that better? I, I think it'll be. I mean, I saw the choices and I think I even gave a quote to Wired about it. Mm. Like, uh, okay, all these are great, sure. You know, good for them, sure. Time for a change.
1: It is strange in that when you see a screen grab that's even three years old or two years old before these changes, it looks ancient, doesn't it? It looks like a thousand years ago. It
0: looks ancient, yes, 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 yes.
1: You see the iOS window from 2014 and it feels like Mm -hmm. it's from the stone age. And these are all components of what what makes that happen.
0: But don't you feel bad? Like they've got these five great, Typeface is going, and it's like, oh, only one will be chosen. You know?
1: Well, as long as they don't if- let the, the viewers vote or anything like that.
0: I'm with you on that, yeah.
1: I'll be happy to use any typeface called Bierstadt, but I don't think it's actually <laughs> to do with actual beer. <laughs> And just finally, I sent you some of our artwork, some of our logos, our bunker logos, and stuff like that. What I want to know what your your professional take on it is because we are those people who use the free typeface programs, and we should be paying graphic designers, but we're just we're just too small at the moment. Give me your uh, professional take on the look of the bunker.
0: You know, when you sent it, I thought, oh boy, let's mm. see what this is. It's kind of good, and so you give me hope. Oh, you know, that there are good tools out there, and that. You've seen enough good stuff out in the world that you've that's sort of soaked in and you kind of know what you're doing. I think it looks good. I can't believe I'm saying that.
1: Well, I got to admit, we had a lot of help from Mark Taylor, who designs the Radio Times at the moment. He kind of set all of our templates and he set us going. Um, so we work see? within his. So it actually really is professional typography. Okay. Really, really. Well, we passed the audition. <laughs> Gail, th- thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really enjoyable.
0: Oh, same here. This was fun.
1: It's been tremendous fun. Typography, the gift that never stops giving. The book, Type Speaks, a Lexicon of Expressive, Emotional, and Symbolic Typefaces by Gail and Stephen Heller, available now in all good bookshops. Thank you for joining me, Gail.
0: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: Listeners, thank you for listening. Remember, you can back us on Patreon and get the podcast early, plus amazing merchandise with lovely typography.
0: Ooh, merchandise, merchandise. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mugs and and all kinds of things like that. Very, very nice. And you'll also get 10% off tickets to our debut Bunker live show with our partner podcast, Oh God, What Now? It's happening on Tuesday, the 10th of August.
0: I want to come. That sounds good.
1: <laughs> well, once Britain <laughs> comes out of quarantine, you're welcome to join us. Listeners, come and join us for this fantastic night. It'll be extra bold and extended. And uh, <laughs> Gail, thank you for joining us. We'll see you Bye. all next time. Bye.
0: The Bunker Daily. Produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofrenyevich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmaster's production.